I've had to hire new people along the way and replace a lot of my original people. And that's been really hard. But, you know, I've had to learn a lot about like how to constantly top grade my team along the way and really get ahead of it and think, all right, well, here's where I am today. And, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made is hiring only for today versus thinking, what are my needs over the next three years? You got to pick yourself up, go backwards and slam yourself at the wall like 500 more times until the wall crumbles. 25% of middle school girls already believe they'll never achieve their dream career. career. Hi, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. Hint. And you're listening to Unstoppable, a podcast spotlighting the journeys of inspiring entrepreneurs. I believe that at its core, leadership is about constantly learning from the people around you. And I'm so inspired by the conversations we're having in our upcoming episodes and can't wait to share them with you. This season, some of my guests include Rebecca Minkoff, fashion designer and founder of the Female Founder Collective, Diana Kapp, author of Girls Who Run the World, Andrew Dudham, founder of Hymns, and Eugene Rem, co-founder of Rumble Fitness, and much, much more. Plus, we ask the million-dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Unstoppable. Let's find out. All right, everybody. We are here today for Unstoppable and very, very excited about my next guest. Guys, this is Jessica Ma, one of my favorite people. Super, super excited to have her here today. She's the co-founder and CEO of Indonero but so much more. So a little bit about if you do not know much about Indonero, let's, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of feedback, but she loves helping other entrepreneurs uh, run better businesses. She started Indonero back in 2010 to help entrepreneurs with all their accounting and tax needs after she was going through some of her own challenges, really trying to figure out her own business. And she's grown the company from zero to over 250 employees and has been featured in the Forbes and Inc. 30 under 30 lists. And De Niro has uh, graced the cover of Inc. magazine. And some may have seen Jess on that cover. I remember how excited I was when I saw that. Um, that was a couple of years ago though, right? That was Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, that was almost three years ago, four years ago. I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah, that's awesome. So her company's backed by some of Silicon Valley's top investors, including the founder of YouTube, the CEO of Yelp, the founder of Eventbrite, and others. And uh, more than anything, Jess is just an amazing, thoughtful person. We're both in YPO together, and that's how we met. And she's just a smart cookie overall. Can I say a cookie? Right. <laughs> and and a uh, lover of podcasts too. So we're super excited to have you here today. So welcome. Thanks. I'm so excited to get to do this with you. Yeah, really, really fun. So Jess, so tell us, you know, first off, what is in De Niro for people who don't know it in your own words? Yeah, I mean in layman's terms. Um, if you run a business, you got to do your accounting, you have to do your taxes, you have to manage your finances, you have to know what's going on, you know, have oversight on where the money's going. And so we make it really easy for entrepreneurs to take care of all of their finance back office needs. And so we make the software to do it and we provide the people to do it for you. That's in a narrow in a nutshell. And we try to make it fun. We try to make it uh, easy and affordable because bookkeepers and accountants are... You know, a lot of them are really uh, 
slow moving and old school. And I thought there's got to be a better, more modernized 21st century way to do accounting and taxes for business owners. So when did you really think of this idea? Like, I mean, above and beyond sort of looking at your own business and and thinking, God, this could really be a business. Like, I mean, were you sitting there? Did you always know you wanted to do something in finance or what, what was kind of your thinking? Well, I, when I was in college and I started other businesses and accounting seemed to be really tedious and horrible. And so I really wanted to build something for myself. And I thought that there could be a cool way to do it. And, you know, I was a techie, right? Like I loved programming. I was studying computer science in college. So no prior background in accounting. In fact, I, I couldn't read financials at the time. And I thought, all right, well, if I'm having trouble with this and I'm a business owner, I'm sure other people struggle with this too. And accountants are like, they're not really good teachers either, right? Like they're not good at explaining things necessarily. Some are, um, the, the good ones are, but a lot of them just aren't. And the tax people too. It's just like phone calls I would never look forward to. And so that, that was really the inspiration. That's awesome. And you, you, uh, your parents were entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, they, they still had their own businesses. And uh, I heard about business from the dining room every night coming home from school. They basically talk about all their business wins and losses. And it was kind of a up and down yo-yo uh, every single day. Some days they felt unstoppable. They're like, oh my yeah. God, we're going to take over the world. We're doing great. And then the next day, they're like, oh my God, we're going to get crushed by China or by tariffs or whatever. And so... What kind of businesses are they? How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, 
long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. They are both doing their own businesses. They do clothing, design, and manufacturing. And they oh, all wow. are manufacturing in China. So I learned all about that. That's wow. That's that's wild. Well, you give me hope for my own kids because I, I at times, I mean, at times I think like they're sponges, right? Like they're picking up on all of this, but then definitely at times they're like, okay, I cannot talk about him anymore. Like I can't even hear about like supply chain and like talking about, you know, different types of relationships with FedEx and UPS and stuff. And, and, but I'm like, oh my God, can you imagine like 10 years from now when they're actually in, in a company and they're sitting here thinking about like, 
well, let's just call FedEx on the phone and see what they say or whatever, like what they're, I'm sure you picked up on so many things. Oh, right? I think it's that exposure is just so important to know that all your problems and issues are fairly common. So, I mean, I think about that all the time with, with anything I, I go through, it's just like, huh, like, all right, I'm sure my parents dealt with this already. Oh yeah. I remember talking about that over dinner when I was eight years old or whatever. So yeah, this, this really has an impact. Yeah, I think so too. I think the more that as entrepreneurs, you know, part, you and I were talking right before we hopped on this, that, you know, the more we talk about like challenges or, or even just talking about just stuff that happens, I think people just learn. Right. And, and that's what I feel like, you know, goes on. Like, I think more and more, we just, you know, we send kids to school and we say, okay, go and learn this language or go and learn this or go and learn this. But if we actually put them into a situation where like, I mean, you're so lucky in so many ways because you learned about this stuff. And then you also learned that, you know, they're normal people. They're your mom and dad, right? But they're actually like going out and doing stuff where, you know, it's just, it's, you know, pretty incredible. I mean, my, my dad, I don't know if you know the story, but my, my dad actually worked for a big company, ConAgra, but he founded a brand called Healthy Choice. And, oh. you know, and I would hear about Healthy Choice. I'd be like, we are not having that for dinner. Like I will not have that anymore. Like I had too much healthy choice in, in my life, you know? And, and then of course, years later, I'd be like, God, it's just, it's so crazy. Like how, you know, innovative he was. And I mean, he was such a great storyteller too. And how he, you know, he was probably one of the first people that was actually telling stories on a brand box about like how he, you know, where did the fishermen like actually get the fish from? And like all, all of this, like he was a huge believer that, you know, products were not just about great products, but were also about the why. And that was kind of the first place. And I thought, you know, I think about this all the time that I, I just like breathed it all the time. I didn't appreciate it, but I'm sure you did too. Like, you know, watching your mom have your parents have good days and bad days and like that, like as stressful as maybe at times it, you know, might've been, I think it probably also helped you to kind of be the entrepreneur that you are today and, you know, and overall. So I, I think that's super cool. But after you launched Ingeniero, you discovered that its business model wasn't really sustainable. So talk a little bit about, you know, kind of that feeling too. Yeah, well, we've been through, just like every entrepreneur, you go through your ups and downs. And for us, uh, just launching the business, super fun, really exhilarating, hired a lot of my friends out of college. And yeah, our first business model wasn't really working out. We tried to build a product that we could sell for $10, $30, $100 a month. And frankly, we wanted to compete with QuickBooks, which is the main business accounting software tool sold by, sold by Intuit and Intuit's the maker of TurboTax. And, you know, they're just a big 800 pound gorilla in the room and, and it wasn't working out. And so we, we just had to call our customers and say, Hey, what would you pay money for? What, what is the real um, hair on fire problem that you're looking to solve? And that's what led us to thinking, wow, we can't just build a tool or a nice to have 
dashboard. You have to actually do your accounting. We actually have to follow your taxes and save you money. And, and then at that point, you could justify making a lot more money. So then we were charging, you know, we were able to compete with accountants and bookkeepers and tax people instead. And instead of making, you know, a few hundred dollars a year off customer, we'd be able to charge a lot more and still save the customer a lot of money. And so we just evolved and, you know, we're still evolving. I'd say, um, you know, back then we, I thought it was a big deal. I thought, wow, we're doing a pivot, but actually now in hindsight, I think that as an entrepreneur, you're pivoting every six months. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so now not, I, I don't see it as a huge deal. I just see it as part of the being an entrepreneur and that's what makes it exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, I've, my book is coming out in October and that's part of some of the lessons, you know, too, like I've, I've always looked at the word pivot as like, okay, that's fine. But I think more than anything, the best entrepreneurs are, you know, the ones that I've seen that are sort of on this journey and they're going to, you know, stop at different points in the road and say, this is working, this isn't working. Okay, let's go in this direction. And that's really what, I mean, I know your story and I, I feel like that's what you've done really, really well. So, which is, which is awesome, but it's also, you know, it takes a lot like, you know, to be able to stop and do that. And, you know, and again, not a, every entrepreneur does that too. So what do you think are like the biggest things that you've learned along the way, just in that journey and sort of, you know, call it pivot pausing along the way and sort of stopping? I mean, what, what were the biggest surprises and, and what do you think are things that are the biggest takeaways? I think you should call it maybe like thoughtful evolution. Mm -hmm. And it's, I agree. It's, it's kind of like water breaks on a long marathon. And I think every, like every few months that I'm doing this, I, I find it so important to reach out to other entrepreneurs and talk to them about their evolutions just to get that inspiration. Um, like for us, um, I've had to hire new people along the way and replace a lot of my original people. And that's been really hard. Um, but you know, I've had to learn a lot about like how to, um, how to constantly top grade my team along the way and, um, and really get ahead of it and think, all right, well, here's where I am today. And, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I've, I've made is hiring only for today versus thinking, what are my needs over the next three years? And in my evolution, thinking about that. Um, so I'd say that's one thing. Um, another thing is just like, where do I want to be in five years and planning around what are my personal preferences? And I think a, a lot of the time I've thought about my shareholders, cause we have investors. I've thought a lot about just like our existing customers, but how about, how about myself? Like, what are my goals? What am I trying to get out of this experience? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are they're mission driven, right? They're selfless. And something I see in a lot of uh, my friends is that they don't really prioritize themselves at a certain point, you know, and, uh, and that leads to burnout. And so a lot of people, um, I'm sure you've, you've seen this too, like through YPO, um, which is an organization we're in with uh, a lot of other CEOs and uh, entrepreneurs. Um, people say, oh, like, I think I'm burned out or getting burned out. But if you think you're getting burned out, you're probably already a little fried. 
And it's already like, you're already pushing the limit too much. And, um, and so I think, you know, I've been at this for 10 years now and I, I'd be curious to hear about this from you, but I think at the seven year mark, I was just so fried. Like I basically had a COO help me run the business for a solid year while I explored, traveled. I still work, but my mind wasn't really in it and I needed to inject some new outside creative energy. And so something that I'm pretty open about now is that now I do other projects too. Like I had Indonero. Indonero is my main thing, but I've got other side businesses, side hustles, nonprofit stuff. Um, I love, you know, talking to other entrepreneurs and mentoring other people. I like doing the media stuff. I like talking, doing these podcasts because it kind of reminds me of my roots and gives me that new uh, fresh perspective and reminds me why I did this in the first place. And um, I think it's just so easy to forget about that and just get sucked into the day-to-day of a business, you know? Well, I think also the other thing that happens for a lot of entrepreneurs is you're just so busy, right? There's not enough hours in a day. And, you know, it's everything from, you know, making sure that your business is running, your product or your service, and then you're hiring people or you're firing people. And then you're, you know, trying to build the right team and, and you get sort of stuck inside of the company and you like, there's just not enough hours to do anything else. I learned from, um, another organization, EY, um, that I've been involved with over the years that they, there was some meeting that I had with them back in. Actually, it's interesting. It was about this, it was the seven year mark. And it was like, I started the company in 2005 and it was 2012 when I had this conversation with them in this group. I was part of their winning women program. And I remember somebody in the organization at EY saying, you know, you've got to work out of the business. Don't just be in the business. And I was like, well, that's really nice and everything, except that, you know, when the buck stops with you and, you know, how do you do that? Like, there's just not enough hours in the day. And, you know, and they were like, you just, you have to like literally program outside. And then the other thing that I had been doing, but I really hadn't actually thought about it until they sort of you know, made me think about this, you know, a lot more was that um, I gained the most perspective from out from other industries when I talk to people. And I think you have a lot of friends that are sort of in other industries as well that, you know, you really bounce ideas off of or whatever. A lot of times people think when they're starting a business, oh, I have to go, you know, talk to everyone I know at Quicken or whatever. And, you know, and, and, or in the case of, you know, Hintwater, it was like everyone I need, everyone I know or can figure out, you know, how to get a hold of people at Coke and Pepsi. And the reality is, is like, that's not really what I needed. What I really needed is to hear how other entrepreneurs like hired or, you know, or, you know, figured out, like got their product to market or whatever. And I think like that's where that's such an important piece as well, because I think if you talk to people outside your industries, it actually allows you to, you know, create a little bit more, um, find vision. I don't know. That's what I 
I'd be curious to hear what you think about that too. But oh, I, yeah. I really think that it's sort of a missed opportunity for so many people. So two things there I really think are important. Like don't get stuck talking to people in your, you know, new industry that you're sitting in, but then also, you know, you have to block time for actually um, working outside of the business and working outside the business doesn't mean you have to go take a class. Like it means set up, you know, meetings like cold calling people or whatever, you know, sitting down for coffee with people that you just admire sort of what they built or whatever that helps you to explore and learn. And I, I could do more with that. I mean, uh, two years ago, as you know, I left San Francisco where I had lived for about 10 years and I started spending all my time really between LA and New York and now mostly LA, at least through coronavirus. And I'm meeting such different people. Like in the Bay Area, it was so many people in my industry, in tech, who had all raised capital and who, like it, like it was just so um, similar. And then yeah. wow, meeting people from all these different walks of life. And, and also what I love now is meeting people who've been building their business for decades, like 30, 40 yeah. years, versus I think when I first started, I spoke way too much with people who were only like a year or two ahead of me. Um, and they're like, yeah, I want to sell my business in a year or two. And, you know, they just didn't have the same context that someone who's built something the last does. Totally. No. And I think that that's right. And you probably are. I mean, I, I totally agree with that as well, that it's like you, they just have a totally different perspective. They hear that you've been doing this for 10 years and they're like, oh, you're just brand new at this. Right. Versus, exactly. I mean, it, yeah, it's wild. I mean, Helen, do you know Equator Coffee? I had her on my podcast a few weeks ago. And, you know, that's a 25-year-old brand. Yeah. Right? And it's just, and, you know, and you look at everything that she's done and learned and she's built community in addition to having great product. And there's a lot of lessons learned there. But, you know, I almost like fell out of my chair when I was talking to her saying, wait a minute, like 25 years and, you know, and, and she's learned, I mean, anyway, I just feel like there's people like that where, you know, she's really looking to build a brand that sticks and she has, you know, key pillars that she thinks about and, you know, and she goes at her own pace, right? Like she's not in a rush to go and like build the next Starbucks. I mean, it's kind of like she recognizes that that's there, and like, how does she build her company and her brand? And like, and she's very Zen about it. So, you know, you talked about travel and kind of enjoying, you know, along like taking breaks and, and trying to re-energize. Like, what else do you do to, actually, I know this about you. You're a pilot. Big part of my life. I mean, I try to be flying into my entire existence. I mean, I'm flying every week, at least. I mean, I'm flying to Colorado Thursday. I I was up in the Bay Area this weekend, Vegas before that. I mean, I, I tell, I've, I've probably traveled more during coronavirus than anyone I know. Um, and uh, and you love it. I mean, it's you. that's your passion. It is. I'm totally addicted. And I think it's also made me just appreciate life more because I saw so many friends who just got sucked into their work. They started their business because they had purpose. They lost the passion along the way. Just, and it's just so sad. It's such a tragedy in my opinion for an entrepreneur to 
fall out of love with their business and then decide to sell it. So the big question, we always talk about how do you keep keep it hot and steamy in a romantic relationships, but how, but how about you twist that question and do that with work? How do I keep it hot and steamy at work? And how do you do that? Well, for me, it's, I mean, I don't spend that much time on operations. I mean, I probably spend less than eight hours a week on operations. I'm spending 80, 90% of my time on strategic and talking to cool people and traveling around and doing like really fun stuff. And, you know, actually I was really inspired by you. I remember when we chatted, this was like a few years ago and you were talking about how you're launching sunscreen and I'm like, what? what really sunscreen has nothing to do with water. Yep. And it was so inspiring for me. And you were telling me how, like how you thought of, thought of it and how you decided to do it and how, you know, how you could do it in such a better way than all the other like kind of big mass producing companies out there. And, and I'm like, wow, like there's so many other things I could build that I'm inspired on. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be a linear path on just what you're doing today. Like you don't just have to do water or beverages. So you, like you totally jumped. And so I've been thinking about that too for my business. And, you know, we started with just bookkeeping and then we started doing taxes because I thought, all right, we could help companies with their taxes. Not to say I'm passionate about taxes. My inspiration is more because I want to help other people who hate doing this stuff. And, you know, right now, you know, we're looking at, insurance as a category to help businesses where, you know, we're looking at, you know, we help companies with their payroll now and manage that for a bunch of companies. So it's just like this, this evolution of being inspired and having fun. That's what keeps it hot and steamy. You know, it's, it's funny hearing you talk about this. I, whenever people come to me and they're, you know, trying to figure out, do they go and, join a company and, you know, they've got the startup that, or, you know, maybe a little bit more than a startup that is interested in having them come in or, or, you know, also people who have started a company after like leaving a large company and telling me that, you know, being an entrepreneur isn't for them. It helped me to figure out that there's different stages of companies and what I've learned over time and there's a whole chapter of this in, in my book, actually, is that I wouldn't have been able to actually say this until probably 10 years ago, but I'm a builder. And so a lot of what you talked about, like the, the whole being in the innovation side of things and like coming up with sunscreens and we're actually coming out with uh, hand sanitizers in the next couple of weeks because I thought that everything out there pretty much sucked. Uh, and and again, like, you know, for me, once things get kickstarted and they start going, I'm still fine. And of course I want it to keep growing and whatever, but, but I know this about myself. Like I'm a builder. Like I, when things get like, when everything is sort of like humming along and the fence is already built, it's already stained. I'm like, okay, that's done. I'm like on to the next thing. I'm like trying to figure out like, okay, now, now what do I do over here? And I'm constantly doing that. Like, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are, that's who they are. And unfortunately, you know, this is a whole other topic. I think that if you have private equity, which I don't have, they don't know how to deal with those entrepreneurs, right? Like they, and, and you have to have like, you know, the, 
the builders and, you know, Steve Jobs talked about this all the time. It's like, you know, they're a little crazy, right? Like they, they switch gears really fast because they're like trying to fix problems all over the place and create, but there's a place for them. And so many of these things would not get done. I, I, you know, categories don't get done and companies don't get built without those people. And oftentimes if you actually remove those people, from the company too. I mean, this is a whole other episode. Like it's like, then all of a sudden you, you come calling back to them in the next couple of years. We've seen, seen many examples of that where, or, you know, in some cases like these crazy ones or founders or whatever end up buying companies back. Right. Because it's like they, you know, these acquisitions or private equity companies end up destroying these companies in many ways. And, you know, they want the founder juice and the creativity to come back in. But that's what I see in you too, that I think you're, you're a, um, you're a builder, right? Like you're not just an entrepreneur, you're a builder and you like the new stuff. You're not afraid of the new stuff uh, you're and and there are people that are afraid of new stuff that are like, you know, well, what if, it doesn't work. And what if it's like, you know, I can't really tell you how big it's going to be like, therefore I can't, you know, hit go. And I don't think that's you. Like, I think you're just like, I'm going to go try and see what happens. And I think it's there. It's, you know, it's really what the, it's a type of entrepreneur, the, the builders that are really, really, you know, important. I'm one of them too. And I think you are as well. Oh, totally. I mean, we're wired similarly in that regard. And, and also in the fact that neither of us have private equity or, you know, formal VC investors, right? Like we, we could be in control of our own destiny completely. And I remember being so inspired by you on this, actually. And, you know, I kind of did, did this tour of trying to find entrepreneurs who were happy. Because I met so many entrepreneurs who were depressed and angry all the time. And, you know, if you hang out around too many of them, then you become unhappy and depressed and bitter yourself, right? And so it's like you're the average of the five or 10 people you spend the most time with. So I hope that they're successful and happy and cheerful and optimistic. Um, And, you know, when I did this with talking to other entrepreneurs, I found that the happiest ones had long-term goals. They weren't just in it to flip it. And they got to build and they didn't have you know, private equity breathing down their neck. I think private equity or VC breathing down an entrepreneur's neck, that was, if not the number one worst thing you can do for your happiness, the second worst thing. And, uh, and so it's like choosing to optimize around happiness. I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. No, I think that, I think that's, that's absolutely right. But I think it's also having sort of out, side things that are really important to you. And I think like, that's, that's another key thing that is, you know, definitely I see more people. I think if you want to go be an entrepreneur, it's not just about being an entrepreneur. It's also, you know, take up a hobby, find something that scares you, you know, and, and go and figure that out too. Cause I think you got to have some kind of, people call it balance. I don't even know if it's balance. I think it's just, you know, something to look forward to that is not just related to your company. And I think like that's, it's so important for people to have. And we've talked about that a little bit through YPO as well, that I think it's just, it's an important thing. So C19 Coalition, I saw that um, you've done a little bit of work with them. Can you share what that is? 
Yeah. Well, I, I hadn't really done a whole lot of nonprofit related work before coronavirus, but then I started just like everyone else seeing all those horrible stories of nurses and doctors having to use the same mask days and days on end and just having that mask shortage. So um, I teamed up with a few people and we started C19 Coalition, which is 501c3. Um, and, uh, you know, we basically bought a lot of masks and helped get it to frontline workers. And, you know, our coalition has bought many tens of millions of dollars worth of masks. And so I was basically working 40 hours a week on in and air and 40 hours a week on C19 during like March, April, May, and then June, it kind of got back to more reasonable level. But yeah, that was that was really exhilarating. It actually gave me so much more energy on in and air in a weird way. And my excuse for not doing nonprofit work earlier was, ah, oh, I don't have the time. I want to have a life, and I want to like have a successful business. And and I just got pulled in. Like I just couldn't help myself. And, it, and you probably met a ton of new people too. And oh my god, yeah, that are just doing different stuff. And and I I totally. I, that's awesome. That's super, super great. So yeah, I, I highly encourage it. I mean, it, it, the, the lesson is that doing more stuff that's not your normal work helps your work. It's the most mm-hmm. selfish thing you can do for your business. Whereas, you know, the, the default way to look at it is, oh, I'm actually going to hurt my business by taking on these other hobbies or interests. It, it's actually the opposite. So through Corona, like, how do you think your business will change? It's changed automatically, but we're kind of riding the surf waves. I mean, we at first were targeting companies that were growing. And during coronavirus, we found a lot of customers who said, hey, I'm spending a half million dollars on my finance operations. And it's so clunky. I need to save money. So can Indonero save me a quarter million dollars and streamline my operations and help me get through coronavirus and beyond? And we have been picking up a ton of customers like that lately. And it was not really in the business plan earlier. And now we're riding, the sur- we're surfing the, the waves of coronavirus and leaning into that. And uh, I mean, that's similar to what you're doing too, right? With, um, with the fact that you have uh, US operations and you're getting all these new customers who, who are getting stuck with, with the supply chain in China, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just, something that a lot of people aren't talking about, but I think more and more companies are going to be, you know, in the case of having physical goods, I've talked to a lot of people in a lot of different categories. If you have, you know, your supply chain, you know, dependent on a relationship with Europe or Asia and, you know, and I mean, in the case of not just factories shutting down, but, you know, let's just say that, China as an example, and or you know, say you're getting product from India, and the government actually says like, well, you have to actually supply our country before you're all, that you're going to be supplying, you know, a retailer in the U.S. I mean, those are real conversations that are happening right now, and when they're happening to you as a company, like, can you imagine? Like, that's like, I mean, there's kind of nothing. You know, if they're if you're dealing with a country that is, you know, that might be in those kind of situations, 
um, I think that you've got to really think about your supply chain and think about like, what if that happens? And so I'm always encouraging, you know, entrepreneurs that I'm mentoring, like to, you know, really look at worst case scenarios. Like what if, you know, your supply chain totally shut down, right? In the, in this other country, I talked to a friend of mine who's in the apparel industry and she sources all of her cloth from Italy and she sews in China and, you know, she doesn't have a collection until, you know, hopefully next summer at this point, like, because she is not, you know, she is, she can get the fabric, but, you know, she can't get, and, and again, like now everybody's grabbing all of the, you know, seamstresses that they can in, you know, these different places and she can't afford to raise her prices because, you know, it's just like, there's so many issues that again, like you've got to sort of look at like, you know, worst case scenario and, and what would happen. And I think it's a, it's such an important time to do that, that, you know, you really have to, you know, think about those kind of things, but, um, but, you know, and I think it's, maybe it's different in software, right? Like, and, and I don't know, I haven't, I think like for physical goods, whether it's, you know, apparel or drinks or, you know, pharmaceutical, I think it's the same kind of conversation, but I don't know. I I haven't really thought about it for the software side of this business, but what do you think? Well, I think with software, it, you know, it's just different considerations, right? right? Like, you know, and for me in particular, it's like, well, what if uh, the IRS just said, hey, we're not going to need to process tax returns for another six months. And that leads to no one coming in the door because there's no urgency anymore. Right. So I'd say every, you know, vertical area will have oh, different worst case scenario questions. And we've had to ask all those questions. And that's also led us to figuring out how do we differentiate and diversify our offering a lot more which clearly you're doing, right? With the hand sanitizer and sunscreen. And, uh, you know, so I, I think it's powerful. And, and creating the container to just do that, have those chats like every quarter with your leadership team and stepping back to do that. Um, I think that's like actually a lot of fun. Like it doesn't have to be doom and gloom. It could be exciting. And it's like, here are the worst case scenarios and here are all the ways we could win. And converting the doom and gloom uh, psychology to playing to win psychology. Like how can we capitalize and maximize during coronavirus and double or triple our business over the next year or two or three. And, you know, having those brainstorms with your leadership team and with, with your employees, like I think we'll get them into a better state. And frankly, it makes being an entrepreneur a lot more fun. Much, much more fun. (laughs) So as you mentioned, you moved down to LA. Everybody's virtual. At the, it's still virtual, right? You're, you guys, do you still have offices? Are you guys? We still have offices, but we're uh, remote first now. We, we told everyone about a month ago now that they don't ever need to return back to the office if they don't want to. And if they want an office space or they need an office space, um, as long as, you know, the state or the city or county allows it, like we'll pay for a desk for them somewhere. But we surveyed our team and the vast majority of them, like over 80% say they are just as productive, if not more productive or extremely more productive working from home and will not want to come back to the office if given the ability. 
So we saw the survey results and we're like, wow, perfect. And we presented those survey results to the company and we said, hey, if you're in the 20%, we'll still pay for an office space for you, but at least we'll bring your office footprint down by 80% uh, over the next 12 months. That's awesome. We'll love wow. it. It's such yeah. a, people are traveling now and, you know, doing uh, their work from really cool places all in the U.S., of course. No, one, no one's left the country as far as I know. And it's, uh, it's cool. So far it's working. That's great. That's super, super awesome. So last couple of questions. First of all, what's your favorite hint flavor? My favorite is the cherry hint fizz. Yay! I ordered so much, many. I mean, I had it delivered to my home and I, I drank at least like three of those a day and it got me off orange juice. I was drinking like orange juice in the morning and I had horrible headaches and I switched to hint fizz cherry and changed my life. I love it. I love that fizz too. It's, it's super, super yummy. So what makes you unstoppable? I think what makes me unstoppable is having such close girlfriends who are also entrepreneurs. I built this community of unstoppable, badass women and, you know, we call it badass female founders. And so I got a WhatsApp group with some of them on it. And, you know, we just cheer each other on and lift each other up during bad times. So I'm not on this though. I, I gotta, I gotta do a guest appearance somewhere in oh, there. Oh so. yeah, you do. Yeah, no, totally. That's awesome. But that's good to know. I mean, I think like, look, you as you know, people always say it can be lonely, right? Being an entrepreneur too. And I think like just having that tribe of people that you can talk to is super, super important. So that's awesome. Yeah. Really, really good to hear. Very, very cool. Well, also creativity and curiosity for sure. Um, and Jess, and and if people want to learn more and, and follow you, where's the best place to actually connect with you? I mean, I love telling people, feel free to even email me, CEO at inanero.com. Awesome. And, uh, and then, yeah, I'm on Instagram at Jessma Official. Jessma Official. Very, very cool. And Indonero is I-N-D-I-N-E-R-O.com. Very, very cool. So awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming. I really thank appreciate you. it. Hopefully this was super helpful to everybody listening. And uh, definitely subscribe if you guys are not subscribers yet to Unstoppable. And we're very, very excited to just really have everybody on and learning. And if you guys have any requests for other great founders and disruptors, please let us know. But Jess, thank you so much for coming on. It's super fun. Uh, thank you. This is great. Super great. All right. Thanks, everybody. like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. unstoppable. unstoppable.